I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. Before I start this week's episode, I want to shoot out a little reminder to you guys. Um, on the official website, yeah, that exists. Uh, there's a submit questions link, which you can click on to uh, submit shit. Uh, basically, anything you got in your on your mind, whether it's topics or questions that you wouldn't mind hearing about on the show, be it from myself or uh, any of the other guests, go ahead and uh, send them over to us. Basically, uh, you can do it anonymous, anonymously if you want, or if if you want a shout out or something, throw your name up there, let us know what's going on in your city, and we'll make it happen. And by us, I mean me, because I'm the only one that's doing this damn thing. Anyway, let's get on with the uh, with the guest. Our guest this week is one of the most prolific stateside producers in contemporary techno at the moment, and he goes by the name of Developer. His real name is Adrian Sandoval, and uh, since 2008, Discogs has him clocked in at 42 releases. Um, most of his output is spread across his own labels, like Modulars, Developer Archive, and Olympian. Um, he's also an extended family of the Pole Group guys in Spain, and he's currently splitting his time between his hometown of L.A. and uh, here in Berlin. As far as Google searches go, there isn't a whole lot of info on Adrian. He likes to keep things fairly tight-lipped and prefers to keep a low profile. So I guess I'm fortunate enough to have him on the show, and uh, we had a really good talk. Uh, We spoke about his history, his strong work ethic, a little bit about whiskey, and uh, some DJ Booth horror stories. Uh, It's almost 90 minutes long, so let's get right into it. Enjoy the interview. So we, uh, this is your first time on the show, and I can say that, uh, in all honesty, I didn't get any time to prepare. But I'm going to use alcohol as a crutch, so it'll be fine. To be way. honest, though, I mean, uh, on the way we were both at the studio. We showed up to uh, record the episode a little late tonight, but on the way back from the studio, I was trying to look for some interviews and stuff, and those do exist on the internet. But um, I mean, there, there's not so many of them, and it's like you actually keep a pretty low profile. Uh, as far as you know, what's going on out there and whatnot. So, I guess what I could say is I I couldn't research as much, but I've also known you for a while, and uh, we were ta- we were talking about one of the first nights that we met here in Europe. We'll leave that story off there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, it's good to have you on, and we'll get to know you a little bit and talk about the music and everything. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention here is that. Uh, you you come from LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were born there, I'm assuming. Yeah, I grew up in LA my whole life, and uh, yeah, it's all I know until recently. I've been tra- uh, traveling. Yeah, I mean, are you are you here? Would you say half time, full time? Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm here half the year now. Okay. Before it wasn't like that, but now I am. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're in Berlin currently, but I know you were in in Spain quite a bit for a while. Do you still split your time, or when I when I first started coming over in 2011, mm-hmm. 2000, like the end of 2010, I started. I would first go there because I'm friends with Adriana, mm-hmm. um, and she has a place there. So I would kind of, you know, I would use that as my base, pub, yeah. my base. And uh, then by coming here, uh, when I joined Pool Proxy, it just made more sense. More more. 
I run into more people here, you know, yeah. like Berlin, everyone's always coming through. So it's a good place to network or like to catch up or work with someone or totally, yeah, or you can meet up with someone or if you want to, you know, plus it's a good place because everything's really inexpensive, like a studio. My agency's here. So there's a lot of benefits to being here. And plus the airport. I like the airport. You know, it's easy to get in and out of. Too. But the the weather and the food's way better there. <laughs> the food is opinion. better. The food's better in a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> but you started off in, in L.A. And, yeah, um, pretty much. You know, I have obviously a close, uh, close uh, connection with the droid crew, mm-hmm. kind of extended family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that a lot of those guys have told me over and over again is that, like, about how some of the first parties they were going to is actually stuff like you were responsible for and like you had been doing this for a while. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, you know? Yeah, I've seen the LA scene. I mean, I, I started going out when I, you know, like in the late 80s, but I was, I came in through like electro hip hop mm-hmm. and then the backyard party scene. And then by, by the time 92 hit, I started DJing. And then by 94, I, I got on the radio, I did, started doing a radio show. And then after that, I uh, ninety five, I started doing record distribution for like Jeff Mills, uh, Richie Houghton, a lot, uh, Submerge, a bunch of labels. Were you working as your own company or for a company? Actually, it was my friend's uh, dad that he was going through this like change of life thing, and he yeah. just wanted. He just got out of a family company. He put all his money into the. I mean, he's seen. I was good friends with his son, so we were always like go to parties, and he was kind of a, I don't know, Grateful Dead type of dude. Yeah, and um, he just decided to put his money in 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 uh, in this. He he believed it. He liked it. He he would see us, and he kind of maybe he kind of felt like but, that was him when he was younger. And then he put the money through, and then he bought. He actually owned the company. Nice, but I mean, so was it solely techno distribution, or was it just, a variety? Just techno. Wow. So he was fully into it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so what was what was your was that your introduction, or was it just kind of randomly picking it up at raves, or how did you you know end my, up? My, my introduction was in the in the early '90s in the backyard party scene. Yeah, it was like the same place where uh, Santiago Salazar and uh, Southern Serve and all these guys grew up in that time. This is like pre-internet. This mm-hmm. is pre-CDJ. What part of LA would this be? East. I, I grew up in Pomona, so it's like it's the last East LA city. It's okay. like the last city before you end up not in LA anymore. All right, and um, so. You're doing the distribution at that point, and were you also around then? This was the mid '90s. You'd already started doing parties, or were you just no, DJing? no, no, no. So this is this is what I, this is what I was saying. Like, so after uh, after doing the radio show, I went into distribution, and that only lasted like two years, and that's because we were too young, yeah, smoking too much, and mm-hmm. just we were too young to be running, to be part of a company like that. I was pretty much like the export. Like the buyer, he's yeah. my friend's dad was the dad, and then I brought in a few other friends from my hometown. They were also techno heads, and we didn't last that long. We ended up selling all our contacts to Syntax in New York, and then after that, that's when we started doing parties. Okay, so I would say it was like '96 we started. At that same time, that's when I met Santiago Seller. That's when I met Silent Servant, who back then went by a different name, Jasper, and uh, a bunch of other bunch of other people that are no longer around, like Kenneth yeah. Graham. Uh, just a, bu- a bunch. Of, there was like a big group of uh, of promoters and DJs doing parties at that time. And then um, I started doing that for a while until like 2001 hit. And then that's when the technical thing crashed. It's like, and then I wasn't doing yeah. parties anymore. And because nobody wanted to hear the stuff I was playing, which was kind of like 138, 140 BPM hard, 
straight up techno. It was like when uh, that whole new minimal wave came. And then well, that was like 2003 or four at that point. But I, I feel like it was 2001. I like nine eleven ish kind of time. When, when was nine eleven? What was that? Was like 2001. Yeah. Yeah. It was like kind of right after that for some weird reason. But yeah. well, mean, the States definitely took a hit. I mean, right. Um, but also at that time you had a lot of this like kind of bullshit Latin techno, like tribal techno was big, but like every record had ripped off like they put a Chilean goat farmer vocal over the top or some shit you know what I mean <laughs> it was like a yeah it was all drum it was all drum vibes yeah I know, I know what you mean I think Spain and Japan and Brazil were oh. like the last places to I think they kept going until to, to oh, yeah, or something. I mean you know uh, and I mean I like some of those records I really liked and I really love tribal techno but when it started just getting like over the top cheesy right no, uh, I know, I know. that's kind of when the ASN fell out of everything you know like the hard techno was getting too hard. The club techno was no longer really futuristic. It was more just kind of like weird uh, Latin cultural appropriation ripoff techno. And then uh, minimal came in because everybody wanted something different. Yeah, I think it was a good. I mean, that's when I had stopped. And then the Droid guys, I think at that time they were they were they were younger in the '90s. So by that time they were they they all I think they've networked and met new people where they yeah. had. a they were established enough to start doing their own parties. And then they started at that time. And then they kind of like took over. I mean, there was other people also that time, but they were, they, they had as a, far as techno goes, they as, were far, as, as far as techno goes, I I think Tim Xavier, Tim Xavier is one of the first guys that went, I went to some, a lot of yeah. the early parties because at I that think point, him and maybe Tony Roar or something yeah, like that. Those were all like the early guys I remember going on because I didn't even know who they were. I was like, who, who the fuck yeah. are these guys? But when I went to check them out, I, I, I got it. And, and, and they would, they were smart back then because they, in, in the late nineties when internet, you know, earthling dial up, what was happening. Um, these guys were going around with clipboards, getting everyone's emails, and I was like, "Who the fuck are these nerds?" Fucking yeah. like, I was laughing about it, but yeah. later I was like, "Oh, they were already they were ahead. Yeah. They, they they were thinking ahead." I, I was not even, you know, I'm almost school thinking, so I'm like, "What's true?" And that's how they kind of gathered their first their first crowd, and it, and then it took off from there. And then I think in uh, 2006, I kind of resurfaced, started doing parties again. That was when I think Juan was living. He was living in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, at that time, but he was my neighbor then. <laughs> yeah, well, right before that, he was a silent servant. I started. I was going to start doing parties, and I would always have. He he played pretty much like almost all my parties. Him and Santiago were always. Uh, Fanon Flowers is another dude that lived. He was from Kalamazoo, I think. He's been he, popping up a lot lately again, too. Right. Well, I, I have. I lost kind of lost contact with him, but he he was a dude that was also in L.A. I I, mm-hmm. I didn't mention him earlier, but he's actually one of the guys that was also there. There and an old buddy of mine named Gons. Um, those are two guys that I didn't mention that uh, were around back then. But um, uh, basically, what we're getting at is the kind of that period when uh, Droid was kind of picking up the the torch, so to speak. I believe. I don't see. That's why we started drinking whiskey and it's a train of thought. But, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. But I mean, <laughs> bottom line is, is um, you know, you were doing the parties first and foremost and stuff like that. Not all of them, but some of them. And like, I remember like. Oh, uh, yeah. Now I remember. I was uh, okay. Go on. <laughs> um, at that time, Silent Servant, uh, back then he was going by uh, a different name. And then that's when he uh, started the Soundwood District or he was. Him yeah. And he just saw them have put this together. And then. That's when I started to do parties, and that's uh, when I started doing parties. It was, it was fun on flowers, 
Silent Servant who now told me, hey, I got a new name. It's Silent Servant. I'm like, what? And so yeah. he wanted that on the flyer, and that's how we started. And then Santiago would also play at them. And then we would also start bringing in all the joy guys started to kind of blend in our parties. Mm-hmm. And then other people started doing parties like Compression, all these people. And all of a sudden, L.A. just kind of started blowing up again. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a, a few things going on just in Hollywood, and that doesn't include the warehouse shit either. Yeah, know? and that's when I kind of heard about you. You started coming. You were putting out music back then. I remember yeah. your, your stuff coming. I was even I was messing with stuff, but I, I didn't really officially start putting music out until like. 2010 or 9 yeah, or something like yeah. late because every you know I was still kind of I, I was making music but everybody was like you know did you are you using computers you know and mm-hmm. everyone that I knew that was making music was using like hardware mm-hmm. so I was a little bit like you know I didn't have the confidence yet you know to put anything out totally yet. I didn't think it was good enough you know to be honest but that's there's, there's something to be said about that there's a lot of kids who want to put shit out right away and it's like you know what even if it's not bad maybe it doesn't need to come out right away you know yeah. Um, I waited like 10 years to, cause I, I, I got my stuff in 2000, like right uh, when the stuff died, I was like, I barely had, I had enough money to buy a computer. And then mm-hmm. I got like, I think I had Furry Loops one. Yeah. Like I, I think it was using that acid and project five or something. Yeah. I mean, I, it was about four years before I put on my first record and, uh, I mean, actually, I think it was probably the right time for for the records to come out. But you, I tried to put stuff out earlier. Nobody was biting, <laughs> which is a good thing because that shit was terrible. But I mean, so around at what point did he stop doing v- events? Like nine eleven time. Okay, like right so when everybody kind of crashed. Because yeah. I, I remember talking to like uh, David Truncate, for example, and he was saying one of the first real techno things he went to he said you're doing a party and there's like jeff mills quotes all over the walls and and stuff like that Yeah, because and we had a uh i had a i'm not gonna say i i had a a relationship with, with mills but i had a business i mean the company i worked with had a business relationship yeah. with him where most of our our in that this was like in 95 most of our most of our business, the money we're making was off the mill stuff because everybody wanted that. That wasn't like the purpose beginning of Purpose Maker. Maker. That, that was yeah. like Purpose Maker 1, 2, and 3 and Access, like Very, EP, and like a couple of other ones were kind of coming out at that time. Tomorrow. And all those were the records that were making most of our money. That and then the Plus 8 stuff was doing good. Some of the definitive stuff was doing pretty good. Uh, but that's why, and then he, yeah, he had a really big influence on ev- all of us, not just me, but everybody that was involved. We we all really liked, we all believed in that same like model that he yeah. was after. I still, I still, I still respect it like a great deal. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, uh, you know, he's one of the. We've gone into it numerous times on the show. I think anybody that you know spends the time doing the research on techno has gone over this a million times regarding Jeff Mills. But I mean, he's done it he's just a prime example of someone who's done it right you know what i mean like the guy sells fucking pencils and driving gloves in a store Mm -hmm. and still nobody gives him shit and that's just to give you an idea of like how well he's kind of taken his career forward or you know what i mean with a little bit of class and whatnot and uh you know this i don't want to like of course his sound is matured but you know what i mean like he's he's grown as an artist and a person you can see that yeah i mean i feel like he's got like uh He's reached that level of respect that I think it's impossible to even. I don't know how you can even get that. There, there could only be yeah. one, and then that's it. You can you you can be good at. You have to be like be like top at something else because he's already. 
he's already reached a level that even when you were when it was in the 90s it was like he was like batman you know you, yeah. there was no there was no internet so there was like zero info on the guy you know yeah, like, yeah. yeah was, well i i i mentioned it on one of the episodes before but like because there was no internet and everything i didn't know that jeff mills was a black guy for years and then not that it matters but i was like wait a minute because i just assumed that like you know i was from the northwoods i assumed that techno was just a bunch of white german dudes that barely spoke english or something and then right, right, right. boy was i wrong <laughs> it was because it sounds like that i guess kind of right maybe <laughs> well you know and the whole craft work thing so you yeah. just assume that everything's like craft work but um so, I mean, you kind of, you dipped out around 2001 and resurfaced about six, seven years later, started... Like, like five, I think I, would, I took a good, <clears throat> a good five years off, and it was good for me because I actually stopped, for that whole time, I wasn't really, I mean, I was still at home playing, mm -hmm. sure. but I wasn't able to play raves or warehouse parties anymore. So what happened is I, uh, I learned to be part of the crowd. I became a guy in the crowd, a party guy. Yeah. I was the guy that got wasted. I was at all the parties. And I just liked being that. And the, until the music got harder a little bit more to where I liked it again, I was like. And then when I started doing parties again, I'm going to be honest. I was never a really good promoter, to be honest. I kind of, I think I was a terrible. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was, I, I had, I had really good ideas. I had, I was trying to do $30,000 parties with a $1,500 rent check. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? If that, if that kind of... Hey, man, and, I've and, there. Yeah, well, and, not, and not 30 grand, but yes. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I had these big ideas, mm -hmm. you know? It's like Steve Jobs with no money, you know what I mean? It's kind of mm -hmm. like, I, I had these really great ideas, and that's like when I say when I would put quotes... And it wasn't just me that was doing the quotes. It's actually, it, it was a lot of the guys that I was... That sure, was, you have a crew or friends. Yeah, it was my, all my old friends, a lot of them were really just as involved as I am. So a lot of those ideas came from them, you know? And, um, yeah, we would do that kind of stuff because we, we it was like it, we were looking at it as education we mm. wanted people to go that direction we were trying to get people to go that, that direction because at that time trance was really big like it was yeah. like trance and progressive was really big which i'm not hating on it on that but i just it wasn't we were we, yeah we were into other stuff and we we're just like and there wasn't enough people at our party so we were trying to somehow direct people our direction mm -hmm. and maybe spark some kind of um, idea or yeah. you know some or something and that's that's why that's what we try to do but like I said we we didn't have the budget I mean we didn't have any we wouldn't have any lights it would be all black and we, yeah. we'd always put the money in the sound system and sometimes our parties get shut down or the cops show up or you know we're just too young too early right and not enough uh, money but I had the uh, the ideas were there. I think mm -hmm. you know. I, I felt I felt proud about the ideas and and the you know and my ambition. Was there any memorable uh, moments or guests that you booked, or was it mostly just kind of learning and its locals, or how did it go? A lot of a lot of just <clears throat> a lot of just uh, L.A. We, booking we just, the homies. Yeah, just all home. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because all those guys. I mean, they were all we we're all locals, but they're all. They're all like doing well. They're yeah. all, you know, they're all. Santiago went on to he went on to record with UR mm -hmm. and do stuff like that. Uh, Juan, you know, of course, Silent Servant went and he has his story. He's yeah. doing his thing. Uh, at that time, Fidon Flowers was uh, kind of new there, and he was playing a lot. John Tejada, yeah, uh, he came a couple of times. There was a, a hyperactive Joe. Yeah. He was new to LA when he first got to LA. He he was he was playing at our parties when he first got there, and a bunch of other people. So I, I don't I can't say that that. 
there isn't anybody special. We brought. I think everyone was 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 really good. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm happy that it was. It came from that time, and I'm still uh, around. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> because, crazy times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really similar to you because you kind of came out of Minneapolis, and Woody yeah. McBride is from there, and Devious and yeah. Zach. <laughs> I mean, I mean, long before there was me or Zach or anything. Oh, it was already open. Uh, basically, uh, you got. Missile Records was operating out of there. You got like Tim Taylor, DJ Slip, uh, Freddie Fresh, Woody McBride, DJ Paolo, like all these people, Paul Birkin. So there's like numerous and communicating stuff. And and Prince. And Prince. <laughs> but yeah, don't ever forget Prince when you mention Minneapolis. But, uh, you know, and then and those labels at the time, they were bringing like the first UMAC records and, and shit like that too. You know what I mean? And uh, so when it comes down to it, Minneapolis has also always had kind of a rich heritage when it comes to techno, and there were some some house things going on as well. But um, so a lot of people assume that today, um, when it comes to techno in Minneapolis, that it's either just me or Zach, devious one. But I mean, there's a lot to it, and you know, a lot of those core years for uh, for the Sandwell district was. You know, largely in part, I like to believe anyway. Maybe Juan will disagree. The fact that you know he was kind of in this foreign city just working a job and like gave him a lot of time to focus on it and really think about what he wanted to do and i mean maybe that would have happened in la but i like to think that those crazy ass winters and stuff kind of give you a lot of time to reflect and and work on shit you know yeah i i heard stories about how 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 much snow you guys get over there yeah it's nothing compared to where i'm originally from but it's it's enough you know (laughs) But uh, so yeah, I mean there, there's a there's a lot of heritage when it comes to Minneapolis, and there's also new guys coming up as well. You know, you got like Mike Gervais and uh, Jesse Jacob who does uh, the Observer stuff and whatnot. And, yeah, so yeah, I've heard uh, Mike's stuff is good. I, I, the new stuff I've, I've been getting, uh, yeah, I've been playing it actually. Yeah, um, it's starting to pick up. He just did a record for Sims on symbolism, so I, I think you know. Uh, you know, kind of like you were saying, like a lot of people might not realize a lot of those names were from L.A., but when you look back in retrospect, you'd be like, okay, there was something going on out there. Yeah, no, for sure. So. And, and then, you know, then you got the Joy guys, and then you got a bunch of other... There's other guys in L.A., too. I mean, there's... Uh, oh, the there's absurd, tons. Absurd, the guys from Absurd yeah. that do the acid parties. and I mean, there's there's a bunch of people over there. I mean, there's a... If you go into Minimal, like, there's a bunch of those dudes over there. You know, that I know... Oh, I big time. They all went into house, I think, now, but they're... Mm. <laughs> Or Tech House or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever it is at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> the variety of beach uh, techno. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about you, though. All right. Um, as you said, you started really cranking out records about you know five, six years ago. But, I mean, the reality is, is that it's at this like kind of breakneck pace where you... I mean, you're one of the more prolific guys in the States, for sure. I mean, and if it's not just the amount of EPs, it's the amount of tracks on each record, you know? It's it's insane, really. Well, before I, uh, I... I had a day job. I mean, I was working in sales for, like, a long time, like, you know, furniture sales for a long time. So I had this, like, this this uh, st- um, strong worth ethic, I guess you want to yeah. call it. So I kind of do the same I have that same kind of way of working when I with whatever I do mm-hmm. so I'm always in the studio all the time I uh, <clears throat> I'm older I'm not older than a lot of the younger guys so I feel like I have less time so because I have yeah. less time 
whatever time I have is very is very valuable. So I choose what I how I want to spend my time. I'm a lot more careful. And as you get older, people will understand that when you get you only have so much time to do something. So I choose to be in the studio all the time. I choose I like it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a I, I really liked it. You know, when I played for on vinyls for like 20 years, and then I got into digital, and I fell in love with that. And then when I really got into uh, learning studio stuff, getting better monitors, learning, uh, having enough money to finally buy some hardware, I started to really get into it. And then when you start seeing results and people are going crazy in your music and you're thinking, man, I just sat in my underwear at three o'clock in the morning, made this track and everyone's going crazy, you know, in this club right now. Uh-huh. And I was like, it kind of make, it kind of inspires me. It kind of motivates me. And so, keep going. yeah. And so it just, it just, it, it, it like, it's like energy, you know, I just keep. And so I'm addicted. I, I became addicted. I'm always in the studio. Like literally today, I was in the studio. I'm in the studio almost every day. Pretty much Monday through Friday, I'm in the studio, and I'm gone on the weekends. And if I go out and meet with someone, have dinner, I'll do that. Rarely, yeah. And but I'll I have I like to be in the studio. I like to make tracks. So I I track. I make a lot of music. I, have, I sit on a lot of stuff. I. Yeah, I mean, you release a lot. So I mean, how much of it, like percentage wise, is actually seeing a release? It's like. Not yeah, like maybe ten percent. I mean, I have yeah. I have a lot of stuff that I sit on. I mean, that's where the developer archive started because I was <clears throat> the modular stuff. I, I kind of was putting a lot out, and then I also was getting a lot of music sent to me. So I figured, well, I need. I still have the music. I can't put everything out on, on modules sure. because I want to put other people out. So I started this developer archive to kind of feed that, you know, as another outlet. And um, yeah, I. I I have, and then I started another label called Olympian because I have. There's people keep. I'm just getting. It's like too much music, you know. People send me a lot of music, and I mm-hmm. can't put it all out. So I started another label called Olympian to kind of, you know, feed. The, you know, like there's a lot of European artists that I like, yeah. you know, and I kind of using that outlet more for the European guys to to that can't be on modulars because I already have the schedule, you know, six months in advance. Yeah. So I started this label. So I kind of like these projects. I like stuff that keeps me busy because it's like, you know, I feel like it's, mm-hmm. that's just the kind of person I am. So yeah, I, I I record a lot and I put a lot of music out because I'm in the studio a lot. I, I, I spend a lot of my time in there. Do you write stuff quickly then, I'm assuming? Yeah, I got used to, to uh, I got used to a certain workflow that I, I do write the stuff really quick. I, I, it. The way I look at it, I, I kind of think like this. I just make stuff I want to play. Yeah. That's that's my thing. So I make it until it's ready to where I want to play it. So that's when I release it. You know. Okay, so you don't overproduce it or anything, then, well, right? Yeah, so a lot of people spend... I mean, I'm learning to get a little better at my production because I know in the beginning, you know, I, I didn't have any kind of schooling or anything like that. Some some guys have mm-hmm. where the stuff from the beginning, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Mine didn't when I first started. Yeah. It's a lot better now because I've learned. Yeah, but I. Um, That's everybody, though. In fairness, yeah. So yeah, yeah, and I'm still learning. I still have a lot, a lot way to go. But my whole thing is, I make it until I want to play it, and then once it's like I have a, you know, the track is a certain point where I'm like, all right, this is ready. Boom, done. Next one, next one. And I've read an interview, or I've heard an interview, or read it. Mills speaking in the same way. He can write tracks. I mean, he releases tons of music. Yeah, he just got that that workflow. You know, he just knows how to like 
just makes stuff really quick. And he, you know, he plays with almost all his stuff. So I like that same, that same models kind of, mm-hmm. I've adopted a similar kind of model, I guess. I mean, like, you know, for me, when I, when I have that idea or that hook or whatever that I'm going for in the track, as soon as I have that, I mean, I write a track really easily. I can write a track in two, three hours tops, but sometimes just to fiddle around to get to that point can take me forever and that stuff you're cranking out on the synth, just trying to to fuck around, um, man, it sounds terrible, you know. And like maybe I'm just not narrowing my focus in to get it dialed down to kind of scrub through stuff and, and find the, the notes I'm looking for. But um, it can be a pain in the ass sometimes, you know. Yeah, but you, your stuff is like sonic wise. I mean, stuff sounds good. I mean, there's a yeah. good, but you've been doing it a, a long time. You know, you kind of know what. Well, I, the other part of it is, is like I, I, before I was a techno DJ, I was interested in experimental music, and when it comes to the dance floor, I was a drum and bass guy, and drum and bass is all about engineering. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, you got those guys that obsess over the perfect snare drum all the time, and then there's like there are all these theories. Like, first you got to distort the bass line, and then overdrive it and compress it, like, and drum and bass records even like back in the 90s they were always doing one track per side techno guys are always doing two tracks on each side if not three sometimes and so like the drum and bass cuts in my opinion always sounded light years better than anything that was coming out in techno um, yeah the production is really I mean that's why uh, like Guy shifted all those guys they, I think they came in from yeah drumming. man like, their stuff sounds so like well yeah. produced because I think they, they come from that kind of totally school. like dub speaker he's one of these techno guys that's kind of popular right now and I mean production wise it's really well produced stuff and I mean I guess he's a, a ex drum and bass dude uh, there's a couple guys out there like Trevino you know that's Marcus Intellects these are guys that uh, it was all about having crisp production and whereas techno was just kind of just fucking throw it in there man put some distortion on it and it's done <laughs> so you know i from my first record, I was like, it's got to be hopefully one side on the cut if it's a strong enough track. And you got to have every sound's got to sound good. That being said, I think overproduction can kill a lot of tracks. Yeah, I mean, I think I wrote, I, I there was a quote I got from some uh, designer, Helmut Lang, or I forgot what, which one, I forgot his name. But uh, he wrote, perfectionists spend too much time on irrelevant details. Yeah. And, which leads to uh, failure, eventual failure, which is true because I know a lot of people that are too, they're, they're, they're perfectionists. They want it to be perfect and they don't really make anything. You're, you're just sitting there trying to, you know, one, I always feel like I make the track and then I go back and fix it. Mm-hmm. So once the track is finished, then I'll go and mess with the, the levels to where everything sounds like, you know, where the bass is, you know, everything, when everything's yeah. compressed correctly. But I'll, I get the idea. I, I get the track done. I, so you don't so, like, okay, the bass line is now finally nailed. Then we move on to the next step. Well, I, I'll, I'll get it close enough, and I just write the track. I just get it done because I'll get, I get bored. I yeah. get bored really quick. And if I'm sitting too long on the track, like I usually will work in a day. I'll work on three three different tracks in that day, and then I'll, I'll work on those tracks for the week. And, okay. and then I'll just go back because I'll, I get bored. Yeah. You know, after a few hours, an hour or two, my my ears, I get fatigued, and I take you know, turn off the, like, eat something or drink something, and then I will come back, and then I'll start a different track, and then I'll come back to it the next day, and I'll be like, what the fuck is you know, like yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, I gotta change this shit all up. I'm I'm not into this anymore, and then eventually I just get it, and or sometimes I'll just start a track and I'll finish it like in two three hours, I'm done, 
you know, yeah. just like comes out. And those and, are the best ones. Yeah. Um, but you did an album a couple years ago in pure form. That's mm-hmm. what it's called, right? Um, that was, was it 26? 25. 25 tracks, straight up, club tracks. Right, and and that's just, a. I mean, I think I, I had like 70 tracks, and I just chose those. And, and it wasn't really an album, because people, you know, the, you know, air, I'm air quoting right now, like, the album needs to have ambient, have... Uh, a broken track. I have this, yeah. you know, there's this, there's this rule. And I, I would go to, I think, I think I was at Bergine or something. I, I was there and a couple of guys were like, Hey man, that's too many tracks for, I was like, why is it too many tracks? Because it, you know, it, it is just not supposed to, it's not supposed to, who, who said that you yeah. can't do that? Who's making these rules? Who are these imaginary people making the rules that it has to be this way? Yeah. No, I did it. I'm the guy that did it. Boom. 25. That's just the way it is. Yeah. I don't know. And, and none of them, there's no ambient or anything. They're just all, you can play them all. A couple of guys were like, yeah, but it's too many. I go, but is there any of them that you like? Yeah, I think I like two. Well, that's it. That's all that's. I, yeah, I, didn't, expect you, I didn't expect you to play them all. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I I don't know. I guess I sound really uh, American right now. This name's wild. Ahmed Alibaba Azmira Amushka. I don't, I don't know if that's a real name or not, but he was, he was wondering the concept of that album. Uh, did it work for you? And I guess it sounds like you're still... Yeah. It, I mean, it, if you came back to it again, would you do another 30-track album? Or are you going to dial it down or do something different? Um, I think I wanted to be the guy that did it, and I did it. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. Because, I mean, no. let's say Mills, for example, he does uh, 15, 20, uh, 15 uh, track albums there twice a year or something. So yeah, no one tells him anything. It's all kind of samey. Right. You know? you know, so... But I think I, I did that... I, I wanted to be the guy that did. I felt twenty five was a, you know, I did I think three vinyls. I think it was twelve tracks on three mm-hmm. vinyls, and the rest were all digital. Yeah. And um, I think I, I don't really need to do that anymore. I think I put enough EPs out now. If I did do another an album, I would do the you know the air quotes the kind of the real yeah. album. But I think it would be more like I, I would have to think of some kind of real concept. With I would mm-hmm. want to have a video, a couple of videos tied to it and all that. And I just haven't had the time to it. And I. I I feel like now I kind of am sitting on, a, on an album right now. I have enough tracks to do it. I just don't. I think sometimes it's better. I, I like just releasing EPs, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It, it's just my mood. Maybe in a month I'll change my mind. I think it's really hard when it comes to techno to do albums. You know, like I had a bajillion concepts, quote unquote, uh, for my drum code album. And in the end, I just settled on making banging club tracks. Because here's the deal, like... I knew that when I did finally decide, okay, this album's going to come on drum code, you, you know, the audience is, you know, people who want the straightforward big room techno club tracks. So in my opinion, to put something a bit more experimental on there would have been kind of a waste. And other people say, well, you know, but maybe you're going to get uh, some young kid or guy that isn't usually into that stuff, but they like that music or, you know, they like that track and it got them to to check something else out. I'm like, that's possible, but I would rather save that for another project, you know? Yeah. I, I guess I, I, I don't do that. I mean, I, I don't want to do it that way because that, that's not me. Sure. I feel like I'm not, I'm making this, but I'm never going to play it. I'm just, you know, it's like, there's enough. I feel like there's enough people out there that love that. Yeah. And they're going to do a better job at it than yeah, me. Yeah, too. 
So I would rather them, you guys just make the ambient or weird broken experimental. So I get tons of promos that people are doing a really good job. Like I can't do that. That's like, that's their thing. I I like making just raw rhythm, groove, funk, techno, Mm -hmm. just straight up. Like there's some tracks, man. Like that's what I like doing. So if another album came out, they might just all be tracks again. I I, I don't know. You know, I, I might... It's hard to say, right? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, 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 if it was like I said, there was a film involved, like a movie, and I was like scoring a movie, then I would probably make some shit like that. Yeah. I guess. I guess I can do that, but without that, I, I feel like I'm. I don't know. I feel like I'm just trying to please what the expect. You know what people expect. Yeah, and that's not me. I'm. Not, I've never been that dude. I never trying to please anyone. I. I'm not going to be pleased because I'm not going to play it. And I don't want to put it on the record. It's just sitting, it's a track on a record that it's never, it's like a waste of space when I can put another track that I will play on that vinyl and somebody else, when they're buying the vinyl, they'll get four tracks instead of three tracks and one that they'll just, just skip. Exactly. That's my way of looking at it. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like I, even when I, I've, I've made a lot of tracks in the last four or five months and some of them I sit there and I think like, this is cool. But I'm not going to play it. And is somebody else going to play it? I mean, obviously, if you put it out, there's somebody that will hopefully love it. Maybe. You never know. But um, and but the thing is, is like I'm lucky enough to travel around and play at different venues and parties with different vibes. And some of this stuff, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know where it would ever work out. Probably just for a podcast. But then when you think about it, that's what a lot of techno is these days is just podcast tracks, you know, in a way. Yeah, and, and I could just find someone else that did that did one, and I just put that in the podcast. I mean, yeah, I don't know. They're different strokes for different folks, as they say. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, everybody's got their own opinion, but you know, you have so it's what three labels, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the, three the family or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> well, you, you, Olympian is here, okay, because I'm here, so I just figured it, and, I, and that's with Triple Vision. Okay. I'm 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 doing I'm using I'm going through triple vision for that and I got a P and D with them and I'm doing Olympian. That's like my European Berlin like okay. label. Well modulars and develop archive are kind of develop ar- archive is a sub label So technically those are my US labels. Sure. Those those are I'm are staying there. I've had a couple of a distribution guys wanting me mm-hmm. to bring the label over. I know that the vinyl I know that the, the pressing plants are gonna be better. I know that it's going to be a better quality of record, but I like having my labels in the, in the U.S. I like Fair having enough. two labels there, and that's where I started. I, I've been with Dietrich since I, he, he's the one who gave me my first break when I first started. Yeah. I've been pretty loyal. I'm not planning on just taking my label somewhere else, so I'm yeah. pretty happy th- with our relationship. So, I, I, yeah, Modulars and Developer Archive would be the U.S., my U.S. labels. My Those are my babies, and then... Olympians, my new project. Right on. And uh, so those labels basically welcome other producers. Um, More so Olympian now. I'm kind okay. of putting them on there. Modulus is, is less kind so? of like, I'm really p- picky because I usually hunt for people that, I look I look for consistency. You know, like mm-hmm. if someone sends me 20 tracks and I like one, sometimes I won't want to release that guy because I don't know how many more tracks do I have to listen to before you give me another one. No. If someone sends me five tracks and I like four of them, almost all of them, then that's somebody I'm going to keep my eye on because they're consistent. They're always, I. it's almost like 
you know, when you go to your promos and you know certain artists, you know it's going to be good. You, you know, you don't know yeah. what it's going to be, but you just know when you open that promo, it's going to be good. I like artists like that. Those are someone that I want to invest or I want to, um, you know, support and I want to put them out because mm-hmm. and not only that, but it's I also look for stuff that I play all the time. You know, there's a lot of artists that I'm always going to their stuff and I'm playing them. After a while, I start yeah. knocking on their door and say, hey, man, I play your stuff so much. Why don't you send me something if you want, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I do that really slowly. So it's not like, you know, it's, would, it's would not, you say you have some core artists at the moment or people you really identify closely with? No. In the beginning, I did like in the beginning, it was truncate in the beginning, it was silent serving all that. But they all had their own stuff going. I think yeah. in the beginning, like truncate, a lot of people don't know that, but he started on modulars. His first, yeah. re, his, his first CP and remix were on my label. So but, that's what I would I like because the thing is is right around the same time I did the enemy record. Yeah, he I, went I don't right remember. on. He went right on after. So some, somewhere around that time, but that was that period. No, because I, I remember going to his house. And I was like, I got your beat on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but he he had his own plans from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he wanted to start his own label and stuff. But he, I think uh, when we started the label, it actually was originally supposed to be uh, when I started with Santiago Fanon. Trunke, Southern Servant, and Jay Denham. Mm-hmm. And Jay Denham disappeared. I don't know. He was into it. He had his label and he just disappeared. And then someone else started running his label and it wasn't, it wasn't what I was feeling. And that was it. And and then Juan kind of, um, I, I think I think what happened is Juan did a remix for me and he, he gave me a track. I think that was kind of their way of kind of helping me out, giving me a little push because mm-hmm. I had done parties for so long. Yeah. And, I was putting them on at in LA when yeah. nobody was booking them. I was like the guy that was booking them. So I think it was kind of their way of saying maybe I, I like maybe it's it's not, but I'd like to think it's like kind of their way of saying thanks or something. Okay. Like you know, here's some tracks, man, here to, get, to get you started. And then after that, I kind of just took off and I st- just started like working with new artists and mm-hmm. looking for people I really liked. And then you know, of course, they had everyone had their own thing going. So that's yeah. so I can't really say any core artists because I didn't start that way. I, I kind of thought it was going to be like that, but then later I kind of figured out, hey, you know, I, it's a big commitment to promise people things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. Or to like, if people are relying on you to get multiple records out, or you know, get them bookings or something like that, it's like it's a lot of weight to have on your shoulders, especially if you're just like, hey, man, I just wanted to put out a cool techno record <laughs> you know it's it's tough i got to deal with that with enemy but i mean the thing is is so you you have definitely people that are re- releasing on your label you release the majority of your material on your labels and not to say that you haven't released on many other labels but for the most part you keep it all at home save for like a couple of like the pole group type things and whatnot yeah like i went to uh, when i was going to spain a lot oscar actually before I even re- had, I mean, I've always been into their stuff. I always played their stuff, mm-hmm. and they might they might have heard some podcasts or something that uh, I, I don't put that many out. But when I did, I always would put some uh, some Malero or some Exium mm-hmm. uh, or something. And uh, Malero just uh, sent me a cold email, like you know, basically just hey, I got your email. I love your shit. Here's a demo, and I was like, yeah. what the fuck? And I heard it, and it was I picked a couple tracks out. I had Trunkit do a remix. I had Silence uh, Sleep Archive, who at that time wasn't nobody Still knew. Sako no, vibes. Well, nobody knew. He, I mean, at that time he wasn't really doing. He was kind of only releasing his own stuff. And mm-hmm. I just said, I'm gonna ask him for a remix, and I did. And then I don't know, maybe a couple of months later, he was just doing remix for everybody. I mean, the remix did really well. Yeah. 
And after that, um, I went to Spain and Oscar, they invited me over to play. And then I just kind of uh, started DJing at their parties. And then I did an EP on Warm Up, which is Oscar's personal label. Um, and then I did a, uh, a release on uh, Exium's label. Um, and uh, then I did, uh, then they asked me to do a pole group thing. And then I, I joined the agency, their agency, their booking agency for that region. I think it was for Spain, Italy, and I don't know. It was just really, or really organic. easy, organic, and just the way our relationship. I mean, I speak Spanish, so they were, uh, they're really close like really tight group. So yeah. I was like the only dude that wasn't from their family and not even Spanish mm-hmm. that was asked to come in a bull group. And I was like, cool. I'm like this guy from the other side of the world, but all right, mm-hmm. I'll do it. And, uh, it was just, it was just natural. And then after that, I just, we just, they all kind of came on my label. I kind of basically one by one had them all do EPs and mm-hmm. it was just like, it's like cut like a cousins, you know, they're like my cousins yeah. or kind of help each other out sort of yeah. thing. And, yeah, and then after that, I think I did something for. Uh, uh, yeah, I did a, 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 a split EP with uh, Truncate on a Motivolver. Yeah. But before that, I actually did something on Sematica. I did an EP on Sematica too. I remember that too. That's actually how they think that one of the reasons they heard about me too. Okay. That was actually a really good one, one record. That was uh, that wasn't earlier in the beginning of when I started. I don't remember it to be honest, but right, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, I, I, I that's one of my favorite. Releases Wait, was that the one with Sangre Por Oro? No, no, that's my developer archive. That's oh, number two. Okay, yeah, I remember I used to play that one a yeah, bunch. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I mean, um, do you like? I mean, I I have this theory that it's kind of a good idea to maybe even if it's not your label but somebody else's like keep it kind of dialed in would you agree like for example you release the stuff on your own label would you recommend that for someone that's kind of getting their start today not spreading themselves thin perhaps i always i always believe believe like when i started my label i never planned on i never sent anybody like i never asked anybody to be on their label like i didn't i didn't it wasn't it wasn't how i thought when i started doing music like i'm gonna do my own shit yeah that's it I'm going to put it out. Hopefully the world accepts it. If not, oh, well, I could say I did it. And um, people always approach me. And I think that's kind of, that's, it feels better that way. I think it feels better than when you're, a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists will send me demos. I'm just like, you know, it kind of, it's kind of, I don't think they're really happy when you're just like, ah, you know, I'm not feeling it, you know, yeah. or it's not, it's not for me or I think they should all do their own thing, and if it's good enough, people are going to knock on your door. People are going to ask you for sure because that's just the way things work. You know, when, you, when yeah. some people want something, they like it, they'll come ask you for it. So I think it's. I mean, you got your own. You, I mean, but you you kind of started. I think you started on. Did you start on drum code or something? Or yeah. no? I mean, I I joined drum code in two thousand eight, seven seven or eight. But um, I mean. I was doing my own labels and stuff before that, and I, you know, I back in the day I did stuff for like Mankind, which was uh, oh, yeah, yeah, one yeah. of those labels, and some Glenn Wilson labels, I think, like Compound and things oh, like so that. Oh, you're doing the heart. Oh, that's right. You're doing the yeah, tough I, stuff. I made some pretty tough stuff back in the day, <laughs> and um, I mean, the thing is, is you know, now I've been putting out records since 2000, I think, too. So I've released on a bunch of different labels, but really since. Since I joined Drum Code, I more or less just release either here or there. And I mean, I haven't really done anything for Drum Code since my album. So it's, right now I'm focused on Enemy. 
And that's just a conscious choice because I want to, not only do I like to have the creative control, but I kind of want to build something of my own. You know? It's it's nice to have the, to not ask anybody for any permission. It's good to just be like, yeah. I want to f- make it pink. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's the thing uh, with my label is a lot of the artwork has brighter <clears throat> colors on it. I mean, that's, I, well, yeah, but up, it, is, is your next EP pink? <laughs> Well, no, but there's been some that have like pink colors on there, and like you get a lot of these younger guys who now are used to having the techno records. Everything's like black and white or gray, and like buildings and shit like that. Which that's fine, but my label's always consciously been this sort of um, kind of like pictured after like rave flyers or blurry nights out, you know, where like the club lights, like the yeah, I've th- seen those colors are supposed to influence the the music, or I mean, right. it's influenced by the music. And some of these kids are like, well, I really like the artwork, but what's up with the hot pink, man? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, like all it's right, hot. fair enough. Yeah. What's well, hot, man? Shit. <laughs> Have a good time. As far as I'm concerned, it, the colors will always stay that way. You know, like, <laughs> I grew up and I was a 90s raver. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, it, it, it's, it's nice to be discovered rather than... Yeah, than being the guy chasing people down. Chasing people down. It's, it's nice to be discovered if someone is is good enough they'll be discovered mm-hmm. if they want or or they won't and it doesn't matter they're still putting out good music anyways you know it's like that's kind of how i started so yeah if you're asking me do i recommend that yeah of course like everyone should do their own everyone should build their own kingdom it's better to be the king of a small kingdom than to be a yeah. Soldier in a in a big, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, or the big fish in the small pond, or in the, rather than the small fish in the big pond. Right, right. It depends. I I think there's at at some point you got to move up to the to the big big sea. But uh, for the most part, I mean, I agree with that, and I also think that when you can, well, I mean, it's nice to be discovered, like you said. But when you're making good stuff, and it's not just your friends saying, "Oh, this is a dope track," because your friends are always going to tell you your music is good and your great friends are going to tell you when your music kind of sucks. But um, bottom line is you don't get what you don't ask for. So that being said, you shouldn't wait around waiting to get discovered. Like some people do that. They're like, well, whatever, my comeuppance is going to come soon. It's like, well, you don't get what you don't ask for. Send some demos out. You don't know. Maybe something great will happen. Or... They're not working hard enough. They're not doing enough. Which oh, means, yeah, that's which, totally the case which a mean, lot of times. Which means... Don't just wait around to be discovered. Do more. Do a video. Do podcast. Do design. Get involved mm-hmm. in design. Do whatever you. I mean, that's what I do. I'm. You know, I. I'm. People. A lot of people don't know, but I do all the design of all my stuff. I do all the videos. I do pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. I. I don't feel I owe anybody. That way. I. I or if yeah. I. You know. You owe you very small to whoever is going to help you. But it's better to learn how to do everything. You know, these days you have to. There's no budget either. Right, right. You know, no unless budget. you got some friend that's like, your music's awesome. I'm gonna make a bomb ass video. For yeah, you. but some way you owe them something. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. So, so I rather just do it all myself or learn it. You know, so you know, you got. The, people say I don't got the time. You got the time. Don't go out drinking with your friends that night. Go out. Go home and learn how to use the program. A hundred percent. Go to YouTube. Play, press play. And yeah. Find a YouTube how tutorial. How to use Premiere. How to use Final. And there it is. And yeah. now you know how how to use it. That's it's it. a drag, but you got to do it, man. So that's my that's my way. It's always been it's always been that way, and I I'm, I'm happy that way. You know, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm I'm a lot happier being that way. I feels it feels good. It's a 
people, you know, I, I think it's it's a lot more admirable being men. Yeah, and I I think not only do you not have to answer to anybody, but when it works out, you have, you know, it's all you, and you can take a little pride in that. You know what I mean? Like it was you every step of the way, sort of thing. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, like I said in the beginning, I I had all my old. You know, my old friends and people that I supported, I think they all kind of gave me a little boost, a little head yeah. start. I should be honest, the very first stuff I put out was with, on Joe's label, on 4Track. Mm-hmm. That was my first stuff, but you got to find it because it's not, I don't even know what happened to it. It's just like I gave him, that was when I was first like starting. And then he, I don't know, nothing really happened with those tracks. I don't know. I put it out and nothing. Okay. And so I, another year yeah. or two, I went back in the studio and learned more. And then I just got better. And and another thing I don't, do, I, another thing I do is I never show my shit to anybody. I don't show my stuff to nobody. Nobody yeah. gets to hear it until it's out. Then they can say, oh, but you should, oh, it was too late. It's out already. Fuck. Well, next, there's that. Maybe on yeah. the next one. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I, I, I don't really send my music to too many people these days. I mean, some, but for the most part, um, a lot of times they're just going to say like, oh, that track's pretty cool or whatever, or they're going to tell you what you don't want to hear, like, oh, you should change this or that's, that. So that's, it's, why like, it's I don't, that's why I don't show anybody. I just like, yeah. it's out. No, you don't like that one? What about B? No, you don't like that one? All right, fuck yeah. you then. Don't, don't play my shit then. Someone else will. I don't care. I am. I'm going to play it. You're going to hear it tonight. You're going to come mm-hmm. to the club. You're going to hear it. Totally. <laughs> I mean, and also to build upon what you were saying just a minute ago is a lot of people... Uh, they're either A, not working hard enough, or B, don't want it badly enough. They don't want it bad enough. They want it easy. or it's a. And if they're not working hard enough, it's because they're probably not, don't love it enough. They're just not into it enough, and they're mm-hmm. not going to last. They're just going to, they're not going to, they're in it for the wrong reasons or whatever it is. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's trendy yeah. to be in it, and they just want to like get what they can, and then the next big thing that comes in, they jump onto that. And there's some people that are patient and they just work hard and mm-hmm. consistent. And if you just work hard at something and anything that you do and consistent, I'm not trying to be like, you know, Mr. Like, hey, teaching you a lesson here. Let no, me tell you. Is, but this is not just about techno, though. That's yeah, life in general, man. Right. Anything you do, you just if you just want it bad enough and you just keep going and going and you just and you're honest with yourself, meaning like, hey, I made this artwork. This is shit, though. Then if you're not good enough, get someone. Then you need to pay someone to do it, I guess. But you got to be honest with yourself and and just keep pushing. And then every time something else comes out, you just I always try to be better than the last one. I'm like, all right, man. I, I it's like you're in competition with yourself. I am at least. That's my yeah. thing. I'm always like, man, I, how am I gonna beat last year? I did a lot of shit last year. How am I gonna? How am I gonna? How am I gonna? What am I gonna do different this one? Is it going to be the same thing as last year? Am I going to just be like going in circles? That's how I feel. So I said, okay, this year I'm going to do this and this I'm going to do that and blah blah blah. That's kind of how I. Uh, that's kind of how I look at stuff. And then it, again, it comes down to time. You only have so much time before yeah. you're old. <laughs> no, I mean it's you're true old and, though. You, you know? know, and you retire somewhere on like a cliff somewhere in, in the mountains and. Or snow. you know what? Maybe it's not even that like you're old, but it's just like other real life things set in, like you have kids or something like that. Yeah. And, or yeah, you just move on to the next level. You go to the next, the next place. You go to your next uh, project, whatever you're gonna do. I mean, I've been doing this for so long. It's not like I'm not that. I mean, it's obvious I'm not in it. I'm in it for the long run. I'm, I'm probably gonna be some old dude 
70 year old guy with a bunch of scents in his back garage out and back where's uh where's uh whatever oh he's out back with uh with synthesizers yeah. back there <laughs> doing the his thing in the shed doing his stuff you know and i'm okay with that you know i mean i you know i i'm definitely gonna be that guy at some point hopefully i can afford more than a shed right, but uh right, right. let's see what happens <laughs> yeah but i mean what what more do you want that you know i mean what what else you know maybe a bar i like i like i like uh like we were talking about uh i can see for those of you that are not, uh, well, no one's here. Nobody can see what's going on, but I'm holding a bottle of a Woodford Reserve. This is Dustin Zahn's. Uh, Al Bricker gave that to me for my birthday. Oh, really? Did he? It's I, pretty good. I, 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 I don't really drink this one a lot, but I'm a, I'm a big bur- American bourbon. Uh, I'm a fan of American bourbon. Man, that whole thing, you know, most people are aware of, like, because if, unless you're living under a rock, like, the whole beer craze is out of fucking control right. all over the world, not just, you know, in the States. Yeah, sorry about the plant there. Oh, I can hear it anyway. <laughs> but, um, you know, honestly, whiskey is not far behind. I mean, it's not as popular as beer, but there's, you know, it used to be like, let's say, what, six, seven years ago, there was not many whiskey companies. And then I, I read an article, there was something like 600 two years later, just in the States alone. And really, it's a lot of like bullshit. Uh, there's a book about it called Smoke and Mirrors. I haven't read it. But it's about how a lot of these are just, you know, maybe Jack Daniels and they sell it off as like this uh, niche package shit for like, you mm. know, 150 bucks a bottle or something. But really, it's the same $23 bottle of Jack Daniels with maybe a little artificial sweetener or something. And <laughs> I mean, it, it's crazy. And that's why when people, because I like to drink whiskey and then you get a whiskey efficient. I was like, oh, yeah, well, really? What do you think of blah, blah, blah? I'm just like, dude, I'm not going down that fucking rabbit hole. It's kind of like with weed or anything else. It's like, oh, it tastes good. It gets me fucked up. This is what it works for me. I don't need to know the science behind it or where it comes from. Or but, right, right, right. You know, I appreciate a good bourbon. For those, for, for also for those of you around the world, bourbon is the American version of uh, whiskey, which is a blend, not a not a straight like scotch. Like yeah. I can't, I can't drink scotch, man. I try to drink it, I can't do it, man. I, I used there. to be able to. I, I, I mean, I haven't found the one for me because there's so many different kinds. But scotch is. Uh, I'm not. I'm not old enough to drink scotch yet. I don't think. I used to be able to, but I had uh, one summer. I thought I was hot shit, and I did this whole like drinking scotch all summer thing i went to my 10-year high school reunion drink a whole bottle of scotch in one night that was rough another night i was out on the lake um got bombed on that for a day and then but it was all smoky and then after a while i was like i can't i can't really touch scotch anymore but uh i remember one point i I used to live with tim xavier and this was when i first moved to berlin uh it was me tim i know alexi delano and maybe one other person like Basically, these people all just happen to be coming into Berlin, and they're like, uh, can I crash on your house for the night? Or can I crash at your place for the night? Yeah, sure, no problem. Well, I was coming back through duty-free, and I saw, oh, okay, here's some, uh, what's the, Johnny Walker. There was like a sale on Johnny Walker, so I bought a bottle of Johnny Walker. I got back. Tim came off the road from gigs. He's like, oh, yeah, I found this four-pack deal of Johnny Walker. So he got, like, uh, you know, four bottles for the price of, I don't know, two or something. And then Alexi, because he wanted to be a nice guest, he's like, oh, yeah, I was going through duty-free, and I figured I would get you guys a nice bottle of liquor. And sure enough, it was Johnny Walker. And, I mean, we're never you know, going through duty-free and buying Johnny Walker. It was just some fucking weird 
thing that happened. And of course, you know that night was fucking messy. But right. at, you know, after that and those couple other instances, it was like, all right, uh, I'm done with scotch. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, though, these days I, I'm not drinking scotch so much. It's more like for me, wine or, or sake or something like that. A little bit more. Sake mellow. doesn't do anything to me. I tried. Like, you mean it doesn't give you a buzz or you just yeah. don't like it? No, no, it tastes all right, but I just, I feel like I'm getting ripped off. I feel like you have to, really? like, buy a whole bunch to get me anywhere. You well, know what I mean? I mean, maybe my tolerance A lot of them is do right. the, the little bottles, right? Yeah, and, I, I've, I've, I have to drink, like, a, a lot of those. Yeah. I, think. I, I mean, I've never gotten to, I've never really gotten buzz yeah. off of. Oh, uh, I can't of say the same. I've been hammered. Really? But, it's sucky, huh? Yeah. I've tried, man. Get 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 the real stuff. Speaking of bottles, though, I got a question. uh, Somebody sent in. Uh, They're talking. I don't know if you heard about this, but I guess Jeff Mills had a bottle thrown at him uh, last weekend in Spain. Yeah, and no uh, no respect. What was it? And something about Duke Dumont. I don't really know who that is or what keeping the rave alive is. But what are my thoughts on it? I I think that they were mean. Um, yeah, just disrespectful. I think I also read something on that, and uh, I think I wrote something that uh, I read something on Resident Advisor that Frankie Bones wrote. He wrote that it's because he took uh, he played at a at a party that was thrown by organizers that are used to hosting artists oh, like Stevie like Oki and, and stuff. So because of Stevie Oki, he he's conditioned the people those. The new generation to throw things. Not that that's yeah. what you do. It's a stupid idea, anyways, to throw shit at anybody. But that's 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 what he had wrote, yeah. and it was a valid point. But it doesn't mean that's why or what or or, or if that was the, the the reason or if it was right or wrong. But, but it's interesting because it's maybe the qual. You know, maybe the. Uh, I mean, it could. It could have been anywhere, I guess, because this happened to him before. I think. I think yeah, I mean, Italy. like, I feel like Jeff Mills gets a bottle thrown at him yearly. I know it happened in Italy. Uh, I want to say Rome or close to it, um, stuff like that. I mean, the reality is, is like, uh, there's two things that I want to touch down on. One, I kind of don't agree with the Steve, Steve Aoki thing because uh, I'm sure you've played at the same clubs where one night you're kind of like, you know, puristic techno night. And then two weeks later, it could be uh, some, you know, Cassius or some like Armin Van Helden or some shit. Like just because that, like there might be a big house night yeah. in two weeks, doesn't mean they're going to come to your night. It's possible, but it's unlikely. And the other part of it is, is um, you know, the thing about Jeff Mills is uh, he's a legend and stuff like that. But the dude also, you know, he likes to make a little bit of money. And sometimes I see him playing at these gigs where. Uh, you know, I I just it doesn't seem like because a lot of you know, for example, in Italy, a lot of these crowds, and I see that these it's gonna be like nineteen, twenty year old kids, and I'm like, wow, I'd be fucking surprised if they have a clue what he's trying to express to them. But I mean, you you could you could do uh, you 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 could do what the Pope does, and you can get like a little glass. Uh, yeah, the the Pope mobile. <laughs> mobile. You can put a glass container around the DJ booth, and then be like, whatever, do whatever, but you what. Well, um, I mean, was it uh, was it Rex Club that used to have that window? Oh, they did that. There they was. Would have, would I think so. I can't. I just remember being at a spot once back in the day, and there was like a full-on window in front of you. 
But I mean, at least I think then I wouldn't mind if something got. I wouldn't mind if people throw their drinks at me. If there was a window, it'd almost be like because uh, you know they're like, well, you know, the back fair. in my day when we were playing rock and roll, if bottle like I was watching the there's this trailer for the new Iggy Pop and the Stooges documentary called Gimme Danger, and he's like, people were throwing bottles at us, and uh, you know, we knew we were doing a good job. That whole kind of rock and roll thing. I'm like, well, if I had a fucking bulletproof shield in front of me, I'd probably be all about it too. But that's yeah, not the start case. Start throwing bottles back. You know, I was in. Austria, I don't remember where, but uh, I was with Kyle Geiger one night, and I was getting towards the end of my set anyways, and the crowd was fucking lame. They're all just staring at their phones and stuff, and maybe I'm just not a great DJ. I don't know, but I thought I was doing all right, and uh, next thing I know, um, someone takes their lit cigarette and flicks it at me and hits me right in the chest, and after that, I was just like, I hit stop, and I'm like, I'm done. I walked away from the stuff and... Kyle was sitting down talking to one of our friends. He's like, "Oh, because he was up next." But um, but did you see the guy that did it? No, I just I just knew like all of a sudden I saw this like weird kind of little cherry coming at me and it hit me in the shirt, you know, and uh, then it landed on the on the mixer, a lit cigarette. And I'm just like, "Cool, I'm out." You know what I mean? Like I don't need this shit. And uh, I don't know. I I don't think when it comes down to it, throwing anything at the performer is. Uh, I don't think it's respectable unless like either. What about, what about some jizz? Mm, I don't want jizz coming my way either. Well, because I heard something. <laughs> I I heard that you, I heard that you uh, that you played at snacks. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what snacks is, it's a it's a it's a, it's a night. That it's a, it's actually a, it, it's a gay night at Bergheim, but it's actually supposed to be a really good uh, party going on. It's, I think it's one. It's probably the best night that I've ever played there. Right, right. This most recent time I did the closing was pretty special, but right. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. So, so I heard that a guy jumped up as you're playing next to you, standing on the on the table where your where your decks are at. Uh, I know where you're going. And he started, <laughs> no, that that wasn't snacks. That wasn't me. And he started like uh, masturbating, like right next to your head. No, no, that wasn't okay. Who who was that? That was uh, I think Marcel Detman. Oh, I recall shit. that night. Him or, or Ryan Elliott, I can't remember, but um, that, that's heavy, man. Yeah, I mean, I guess you that's know, a lot to take that's in. That's that, into. yeah, that's a lot. To, I mean, that's I'd have to. I don't know, man. That that's a different situation there. I mean, I think that's. I mean, what would you do would if you that dude be, jumped up? And he was just right there with his balls, just like you know. How two far feet? away are we talking from my face? Um, a foot, like. A foot's, uh, you know what? I don't. Inches, uh, you know what? If you got your clothes on, a foot's still in my personal bubble, in my space. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, let's see. I don't. You know, the thing is, is I. It's I'm not. Tough. The, I'm not the police. I'd probably <laughs> just let. The, here's the deal. All right, there was a dude. I was. I used to live over by Oscroitz, and uh, fuck, who was it? I think there was some LA kids that were in town. I don't remember. But uh, there was a group of kids, and I was taking them to Arena because CLR used to do a night there on mm. Thursdays. And we're going up the escalator, and I'm kind of looking up, and like a foot and a half from me, there's just like this weird dude that's just sitting at the top of the escalator, just jacking it, waiting for people to come up, like one of those weird public uh, whatever. With, with, and with I just started with a, trench, with a trench coat. No, there was no trench coat. He just had the pants down to the ankles kind of thing, just going for it. <laughs> and I just started, like, yelling at this dude. Because, I mean, that's not right. What if there was kids or, or something? And, I mean, it's just so not right time, to begin at with. At, like, 12 o'clock? At night, this is, like, 12, yeah. I don't know if there's any kids around there, but... Probably not. But, but yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I, I you go with and, yeah, But the thing is, is at a club like, you know, Berghain or any of these other kind of parties, 
that might be par for the course some of these nights. So I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not homophobic. I don't really give a shit yeah, what yeah, they do. It's not. And there's just a certain point where it's like I feel like if there's something that might potentially come my way, yeah, just, you know, without my approval, I'm not into it. That's all. Yeah, it's Have I'm not, fun. I'm not, no, no, I'm not homophobic at all. I'm talking, but anybody that I don't, I think even a, a, you know, someone that's gay that's DJing and someone is standing next to you. Masturbating, I think it's still kind of a little distracting. I don't know if you ask me, I think so. Definitely distracting. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, you know, I get distracted when people are, you know, on Instagram in the DJ booth. Now you take that to the next level. I mean, that's that's too much for me. But fortunately, that's not really a regular occurrence there. So it's a story I heard. It's, it's out there. It's out there. It came. It's real. It, 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 it came. My. It came full circle, and you're in there now. So I guess I gotta let's 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 throw it back out there in the world. It wasn't oh, wait. Dustin. I remember that was me that was doing it. No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean I, I I don't know. I fortunately I haven't had too many uh, crazy things. Not even as far as like gross shit, but like uh, you know things that were really uncalled for like happening for the most part it's just annoying drunk people that come to me in the booth that drives me nuts what, what let me ask you a question what's the most uh, a little closer to the mic sorry what what's the most uh what's let me ask you uh what's the most um craziest thing that's ever happened in your career of dj while you're on the decks in the crowd Man. what has been the 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 like most it can be bad or good or but just like what the fuck like what the fuck moment well i mean uh i don't know there's been a lot of them but i can say the quickest thing that jogged my memory and i you know i hate to keep bringing up Bergheim again but that was really what happened recently the most what the fuck moment is i don't know if you heard about it when the lightning struck the building oh yeah, yeah, yeah i was yeah, doing yeah. the closing oh, yeah yeah i read about that and the when lights the, were on for four hours dax, was the dax dax was playing and then pear grinvick and then myself and they had the lights on the whole time but about in the in the air conditioning, which nobody knew existed, but it clearly does because it got. It was also the hottest day of the summer, so it was in the club. It was easily over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. I, I don't know. It's probably like forty Celsius or some shit. And uh, I mean, it was like fucking hot. Like even some of my really good friends that I never would have thought they would, you know, take their shirts off or anything in the club. Um. They were, they were doing it and whatnot. And I swore, like, I'm, I still maintain that, like, I will never be one of those DJs that takes my shirt off when I play. And you I'm, did. I'm just not fit for it. I, I considered it, actually, but you I didn't like, do it. Like, but, tonight's the night. Well, it was so fucking hot. But the reason why also is because uh, 10 minutes before I got on, the lights got turned off. And because the lights were off and it was so hot, like, three quarters of the dance floor was either topless or naked, both boys and girls. So it was just like, yeah, was, you know, that's a, that's a good I mean, that's, memory. That's, that's, that's what I remember it being like at Snacks, you know, like mm. I've, I've had a lot of great nights, but at Snacks, it's like this, I mean, sure, you know, there's a certain sexuality to it, but there, it wasn't, it didn't feel that way. It wasn't pervy. There was, it was just kind of people being fucking natural. You know what I'm saying? Like if you go to a spa and uh, it's a nudist spa or whatever, it's just like, after the first couple of minutes, you're like, yeah, whatever. Nobody gives a shit. And I felt like this is kind of what it was there. And then you look it out and you're playing these tracks and like people are just going fucking crazy and they're next to naked. I mean, that's something that I haven't really experienced. So that was a that was a pretty what the fuck moment. But what about you? <clears throat> Mine's more negative. Mine was like uh, when I was younger, like shootings. 
mm. like backyard party, like and the shooting's breaking out and someone getting shot, and you're just like ducking behind, you know, hiding yeah. under the thing. I've I've had uh, guns pulled on me in South America, not while I was DJing, but at parties and stuff. And that's really once in Venezuela. And oh, I, I don't take any. Once in Mexico. Yeah, my seals like that. Yeah, but I mean, uh, let's see. That would account for two. No, but I mean, I've I've had a gun pulled on me four or five times in my life, and two or three of those were at parties in South America. No, I've been lucky enough not not in my DJ career. I mean, in Europe or in South America, anything like that. But when I was younger in the early nineties, like ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, shooting backyard party shootings was like pretty common because that's where people used to do parties in east of LA. It was like we had a big yeah. There's houses, you know, we don't have apartments. I mean, we, there's apartments, but a lot of people have houses. And what people would do is they would tarp, kind of like a circus tent type, tarp the whole backyard. You tell all your neighbors you're having a party, and then they do parties back there and they charge to get in. And that's when that's how I kind of when I was starting was playing at. And yeah, the shootings were pretty normal. Back in those days, and that was—I can imagine. Yeah, and having a guy limping next to you and like you know waiting for the paramedic—that's kind of fucked up. So I guess Big those time. could be my what the fuck moments. You know, be the shootings. Yeah, well, I um, I don't know. These are just negative stories we're getting into now. But I, I was just—I was just talking to a guy that was a—he was a guitarist in a band, a well-known band, and he's like one of my first tours. I was on. I was in South Carolina. We ended up at an after party afterwards, and. uh you know, in the backyard, these people came through in ski masks and decided we're going to rob all these like motherfuckers that are at this house party because they came in with shotguns and everything. And then they had, uh, you know, this one short, stocky white dude's like, fuck that, man. That ain't happening because he was like a wrestler, all star wrestler and stuff. So he wanted to play hero and he's like starts wrestling the gun away. And this uh, guitarist and everybody, they're like, fuck it. They bolt for the front yard because they're like, we don't want no part of this. Here's my wallet, and he was like, "I was pissed off because I took out eighty bucks from the ATM that night." And now, at that age, eighty bucks is a lot to take out, and he got it fucking stolen, of course. And he took off from the party; he never knew what happened. Then he found out like a week later, like the the wrestler ended up just getting fucking shot at point blank with the shotgun, you know. Like, wow. So that's All that's right. sad. Let Let's segue into. Uh... By the way, I'll be in uh, the <laughs> Netherlands next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I guess, I mean, we're, we are coming up on, like, I don't know, a little over an hour, hour and 15 minutes here. So we're going to start wrapping up towards the end, I think. Just keep it short and concise. Plus, I need to eat dinner if I'm going to keep drinking. But uh, what what's coming up for you in the pipeline, music-wise, production, whatever, I mean, uh, remixes or whatever? I got, a, <clears throat> I got a shitload of remixes coming out. Like, they're all just coming out little by little. I've been doing i think i got like eight remixes in the next four months or something coming out do you remember who at the moment or no no <laughs> don't put me on the spot here <laughs> i haven't written down but it's because yeah. it was a lot and a lot of these are like uh uh european names that yeah. are like really long with little dots on top of the that i can lots and stuff but that's yeah. the thing people are like oh what's your favorite producer right now or some whether well, some your favorite producers i'm like oh fuck and i'm Trying to check my iPhone, yeah. and I'm like, God. I, I could, I, I literally have probably ten of them. But when yeah. you put on the spot, you can't remember. You know, F- favorites a, a an unfair question when you ask someone is like favorite or like stuff like, you're enjoying and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, I like a lot of. St- I mean, <clears throat> I, it's 
it's all the labels that I've been on. I think I like all mm-hmm. that stuff, or, or or people that I know. I mean, I think I'm friends with everyone, or I'm good, strong acquaintances with everyone that I like. Or, but uh, as far as what's coming out, I got a I got an EP on Modulars that I'm about that's out on. You can check it on SoundCloud, and that's coming out the end of this month. It's called Dispatches from LA. Okay, yeah, because I have a studio in LA and I have a studio here, so I work in both in both places. And uh, that one I did over there, and I was there over the summer because <clears throat> in Berlin nobody has air conditioner, and I can't. I it's can't, brutal, man. I, can't I go home in the summer too. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't. I, I go in. The, I go to LA in the summer when it's like August. I'm gone. I'm not here. September, August, uh, July. I'm. I try to. I'm trying not to be in Berlin, and I usually go back for uh, December, January, and February because it's too cold. Yeah. Yeah. So. You come for the right season. I come for the right time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got that, and I got uh, an Olympian uh, coming out number five. That's coming out at the end of the year. As Is that well, you as or other people? Also me, okay. and another EP I do on Developer Archive that I got coming out in November. So you got like three records yet this year. Three records coming out this year, and then next year I have something on Tsunami that I'm working on right now for that's Christian Wunsch's label. Yeah. Something I'm working on for Weekend Circuit in okay. London. That's all like uh, February, March, April, and then like I said, yeah, then, yeah a lot of, got a lot of yeah. You're gonna, I'm gonna be around. You're gonna see me up on there. So, I mean, that's the, the thing. Like whether you know who Adrian is or not, whether you like his music or not, the fact of the matter is, if if you're not gigging around, that should be proof that you just got to get out there and fucking do it, make it happen. Yeah, just put it out. Like if it's good enough, put it out. Don't don't show up to your friends. Don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. If you like it, put it out. If you want to play it, put it out. That's what yeah. I say. I just hate it when people aren't afraid to take the blame, like or accept the fact that maybe it's not as good of a record as as they thought it was. You know what I mean? Because they can sit there on Facebook and be like, blah blah blah. Why is so and so getting credit or whatever? And it's just like, well, dude, maybe the record maybe did a bad job of promoting it. Maybe it's the tracks weren't that strong. You never know. Like don't. You should only don't even blame yourself. Just learn from it and move the fuck on. Yeah, there's always tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You, know I mean? you can make <laughs> another track. You know what I mean. You can make twenty of them. Yeah, twenty or twenty-five. Twenty-five, if you're you. <laughs> but so we got at least what twelve tracks from you coming this year yet? So we yeah, got half you, an you album. Got, there's a lot of stuff album. coming. I, I got I got a lot of stuff coming out. Like and and I'm and I have a lot of stuff. I just I got about a good. 12 tracks I'm sitting on that are like I actually really like a lot so I I'm setting myself up for a good 2017 so right I, yeah like I'm excited about I've been working with different stuff I, I actually bought a, I, 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 I bought a Prophet 6 so I've been using that a lot now okay. so it, I <clears throat> what happens is now I, I'm in buying different synthesizers and trying to just le- just learn use, it yeah. yeah just use that synthesizer as much as I can mm-hmm. until like I'm bored of it, and then I'll sell it. Like I had a sub thirty-seven, I sold that, and then now I have a Oberheim two uh, two voice, which I've been using a lot now, which I really like a lot. And uh, it cost me a lot of money, but somebody told me this a while back, uh, an older guy that that does scores. He said, "There's a lot of people that buy all the really cheap stuff because that's what you can afford." And and I, I was you know working out of the box for a long time, you know, which yeah. For those of you that know what the box is, basically like VSTs. The laptop. And, yeah. Which I still use as my main sequencer, like Ableton or whatnot. But um, I learned that if you spend a lot of money on something really good quality, like 
something by Oberheim or by Moog, you 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 actually when you sell, if you ever want to sell it, you will kind of get your money it retains back. its value. Yeah, if you, not gains value. Yeah, you kind of like get to use it for free. It's like it's like you put your money in, you buy it, and then you get to use it for free. And then yeah. when you're done with it, you still get your money back, and you can buy something else or not. I had know? this identical talk about five hours ago with a with a younger guy because he really wants to buy a reverb pedal. Uh, the big sky, which is five hundred bucks, mm-hmm. it's not a cheap pedal by any means. But I was telling him, like, listen, anytime you start buying more expensive gear, uh, yeah, it does cost money, and you got to save up for it. But if it's quality, it will more or less retain the value. You won't lose much on it. And if sometimes, if you're lucky, it'll make money. Right. And uh, you know what I mean, like, and it, it's I treat it as a savings account that you can use. Yeah, exactly. It's like or like buying a house that you can sell and get your money back on it mm-hmm. or make equity, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or if you lose, you lose a little bit or, or whatever it is. But yeah. yeah, so when you when I buy since now I try to like save up and buy like the really high quality like the the pro like the Definitely. really big, strong, expensive synths spend and then, a couple grand or something yeah, and yeah, the Oberheim costs like four like four grand or something. But yeah. I, I really I don't think I'm gonna sell that. I think I'm gonna just keep that for yeah. for a long time. The Pro the Pro Profit Six I just bought I I really like it but I feel like I can I can probably sell I'm gonna get all the sounds out of it and I've been using it for a while using it on a few records and is it very techno y though or it's yeah yeah it is it is very techno uh, I have the Profit Eight which I love and I don't know if I'll ever sell it unless it's, it's, hard times come but right it's like the it's like the Profit Five yeah, supposedly like the new version of it yeah. but i i like it's for me i never had a, a dave smith uh synthesizer and it and this one is They're like amazing. really it's, it sounds really good so anything that's coming out you're gonna you'll probably hear hear what i did is that I, on I, these I, new records coming a up? lot of a lot of all pretty much every, i've used it on pretty much that and the Oberheim. i kind of a couple tracks on this i using this a couple tracks using this and i've kind of <clears throat> i've used the vsc so much that i like not that they're 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 bad because I really like them, but I've just been using these now, and I, I'm getting what I need. You mm-hmm. know, this is a sequencer is uh, is, is the yeah. important thing. If you get a good sequencer, then that's you know, well, that's key. Here's what I can say about hardware versus software. I don't care about the debate of what sounds better. One thing you certainly can't argue is that when you can have two hands on a piece of hardware tweaking stuff, you will get different results than you will with one button on a mouse. Period. Doesn't mean that it's going to be better or worse. It's just different. You know what I mean? Like try tying your your hand around your back and trying to do everything for a day, and then having two hands. You know what I'm saying? Like the results will be different. You know, it's just immediate and it's it's funner because all the like instead of looking at a screen, all the knobs, your hands are on there and you can turn them. Mm-hmm. And it's just you get more involved in it. You you I could sit there all day and just fuck with this synth and just keep. And I'll just make sequences. Sometimes I'll just make sequences all day, and I'll just yeah. turn the recorder on, and I'll just record sequence after sequence. And then I get all these waves. I load them in, and then I just like cut them up or whatever, do whatever I want with them. I have this new um, bank or library of new sequences that I made with the synth, and then I can just go back to it and do it again and keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, there's you shouldn't have to feel like you have to do it uh, the traditional way either. Like you turn the synth on and you save the patch and blah blah blah. Like like you said, what I'll do is I'll just make a bunch of different uh, loops and sounds. I'll just record that's, like an hour of stuff, and then you can chop it up, reverse it. That's what I distort I'll, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend all day. I'll make like a hundred a hundred different like wave loops, and I'll just save them in files. So that's what I'll do all day. I'll just spend the whole day making loops. 
and I, I mean, for those of you that want to know, that's what I, I that's a, that's a, a large way of how I work is I just make a ton. Kind of like in you know, those sample packs that people buy, yeah. but I just make my own make sample own. packs. Yeah, and I'll just do that all day and just change the sequence to change the synths and change all you know the parameters. And and then I and then the next when I finally want to make music, I I load and I have this like brand new sample pack of stuff that I made, and I can just like boom, and I can just make. Tr- that's how I can make tracks really quick because all the thing I have to work is I have to do is the drum work, yeah. the kicks, the hats, do all that stuff, throw the line in, cut it up bring two in or whatever you want to do and then go back and then I can fine tune everything. And that's, and that's how, that's my, that's one of my, there you have it. that's like the basic workflow of how I get stuff done really quick. You know what I mean? It's like, instead of doing everything, having everything in one track and just like leaving it there, like, or just working on one for a week, I just think it's boring, man. I mean, who can, I, I don't know. I can't do it. I can't sit there for a whole week and work on one track. I can't do it. I mean, that's just it. A lot of people, they tell me that too. They're like, oh man, I got these two tracks I've been working on for a couple weeks. I'm going to send them to you soon. And you know immediately, like unless it's like some big orchestral kind of like rock band thing or whatever, which might require that kind of attention, it's just not going to be very good because it's going to be all this focus on details that you want to be able to pick out. Yeah, you're like, like, did you hear that little little particle? No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Listen, listen. Yeah, that right there. You know, and you're just like, fuck, man, nobody cares. You're not going to hear that on a loud sound system. You know, like uh, I sent a track to somebody yesterday, and they're like, yeah, it's pretty cool, but it sounds like it's missing something. And, of course, sometimes my tracks are missing something. But I said, well, listen, if I put something else in here, it will either A, clutter it, or B, you're not even going to be able to tell this on a big system because so many details are lost when you start hearing it out in the club. Yeah, like like if you're making hip hop or you're making ambient or you're making uh, rock or like any whatever, kind of pop yeah. music or whatever, then those little details maybe those are important because people are going to hear them on the radio or there it's a track that they're going to play the whole thing and they're only listening to that track. Mm-hmm. Then then it's important. But techno is like information. It's like data. Once so it's like a sen- it's like saying a sentence or a paragraph. Once you're done with that paragraph, no one wants to keep hearing that paragraph over and over. Yeah. They want to hear what else you got to say. That that's how I look at it. Like some people make pictures, I make colors. Yeah. That, that's that's probably the best uh, the best way. Kind of like tools. To, to yeah, I'm more of a tool out. guy. I just make stuff for you to go to use to go and create something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not a guy that makes like a full on picture. I'm not. That's not my. That's for someone else. That I mean, there's other yeah. producers that are amazing at that. I'm not. That's not me. Right on. You're just focusing on the strengths, right? Yeah, if, if if I do that, it's by accident. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so that album coming out soon, probably an accident. Maybe, you know? Yeah, there's just a bunch of accidents, the lucky accidents that, you know, which are sometimes the best ones. Yeah, it's usually how it goes. Right. Uh, you know, I think one of my next upcoming A1 tracks, which is not a hit by any means, I just like it a lot, pure right. accident. Pure accident. But... And again, just jamming on a synth, just messing around, not expecting anything. I was like, that's that's kind of cool. I should put a kick drum under that. Hour and a half later, it was done. It doesn't really do much, but it's cool. Right. You know, so. That's what's important. Yeah. But, we, you know, so when all that comes down at the end, are you one of those guys that's going to really focus on, like, the mix down afterwards? Or do you kind of. I get it, it as good as I can. I get it as, as good as I can. I, I, uh, I try to listen to other stuff that's really well produced, you know, like. Mm-hmm. You know, A, B, you know, sure. A, go back to that and say, damn, that shit sounds so much fucking, how, how are they fucking doing that? 
go back to my kick, pump that up. And that's how I've been getting my, my stuff is comparing it to like amazing stuff that I think it sounds really amazing and trying, great to, idea. trying to get my stuff at least to that level. I mean, mm-hmm. this is somebody with no, no music education, which is probably half of the people that are listening, more, probably more than half of the people. I would listening. say 95%. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of really good producers that do have the schooling, man. I mean, like, 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 yeah. like, like, Truncate and Drun, like Mo Drum Set. Those guys went, they went to school, man. But they, you can tell, you can hear it. Their stuff is, I mean, you can hear it in, in their production. I mean, when you hear like Mo Drum Set stuff, when he, I like when he does all that like tool, that nine inch, that uh, that experimental type yeah. stuff. You can really hear the shit in there. I'm like, what the? Yeah, fuck? I know he's yeah. he's working on an album with Luis Flores right now, and that's. Uh, I mean, it's really. Uh, I mean, it's Tool is way more mellow. I would say because this is a hardcore album. But I mean, it's the production, all those sounds, the detail yeah. that we were talking about that you didn't need on the dance floor. That's all in this stuff, and it's it's really well produced. Yeah, you know, that's cool stuff to listen to when you throw in your car and you go for a drive. You know, you take your little like uh, Dodge Challenger and you know go, go bomb around. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> that's the one thing I miss about being. You know, in Berlin, is not being able to just jump in the car and go for a little night drive. I, I miss my, I miss, uh, I miss driving when I'm out here, man. Yeah. Sitting on the subway at like three in the morning with all these weirdos. Yeah, Berlin's finest. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where are you at soon? Um, Paris. I go to. Par- I just, I did that. I, I just did the the uh, Modular's Night at uh, Trestle, which was really good. Uh, I got a night coming up in uh, Paris. I got New York coming up. It's some party called Transpeclos or something. I uh, go back to LA, down to South America, and then I'm back over here for some more, another round of uh, gigs. So all before the end of the year, or yeah, all before the end of the year. All right, I'm sure they can find this on Facebook yeah, and whatnot. Facebook or Resident Advisors probably like even yeah, okay, a little bit more accurate sometimes or cleaner. Yeah, more uh, curated maybe. Right on, man. Anything else you want to add before we take off? Nah, man. It was good. All right. I enjoyed it. Thanks for coming around. Yeah, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you too.